to the Faith Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bubbles, and welcome back to the second Sunday of Advent for the week of December 4th, 2022. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig in this week's podcast, and I'm excited that yet again, we're in this Advent season. I really do enjoy Advent. I really do enjoy the preparation of us preparing for Christmas, and what does that all mean? What does that all look like? And what does it also mean to prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ for a second time? What does that look like? What does that exactly mean? It's been something that I even brought up this last week with my confirmation kids, and I think it's an interesting topic in and of itself to think about. How do we prepare for something that we don't know when it's happening? How do we prepare ourselves for this idea of we don't know the time or the hour, we don't know how it's going to look, but we have to be prepared? And I think that's something that as we are in the world in which we're in, I think it becomes a really interesting question to be thinking about of how do we prepare ourselves for moving forward in the faith? How do we prepare ourselves for the new world that we're walking into, taking what we know now to prepare us for the future? And I think that's something that we're always as humans wrestling with, always trying to figure out. And it's a difficult task in and of itself to figure out. But in order to do that, it ties really well into the question that we had for last week of when have you sat and watched and learned and listened with God? And there's been some interesting feedback we've definitely heard this week. One kind of talking about ham radios and being able to listen for people from different states and being able to be able to be there to answer the call of someone who's been waiting a long time to talk to someone from a different state. But I also got a really interesting one this last week, and I'll attach the stuff down in the notes below, but how the Netherlands has become the second biggest exporter of food in the whole world behind the United States per capita. And in doing that, it's been a 20-year process of figuring out how to vertically integrate their food sourcing and being intelligent with how they are creating their food, looking at ways to be more environmentally friendly. So figuring out how do they use less water? How do they take their emissions and actually use that to help grow plants? How do they figure out ways to reduce the amount of transport time, thus reducing their environmental footprint, and genetically, through different crossbreeding and things, be able to make plants that are more tolerable to the different diseases, viruses, or changes within the climate that we're going through. Really interesting article that I got turned on to this last week. And I think it really reiterates well this question, in order for the Netherlands to be able to do this, they've had to really take a lot of time in observing and watching and learning, and I would say spiritually listening with God to be able to figure out what plants make the best sense to be putting time and work and effort into to be able to grow, and thus being able to also future cast and figure out ways to kind of help where we're going in the future. And I think as a human population with the issues that we're starting to deal with on a global scale consistently, I think this is something that we can learn from. 
How do we take these different skills and abilities of things that we're learning and try to be thinking in the next 15 years, 20 years, how could this potentially impact my life in a positive way? And if there's a significant reason on what this could do, it's worth pursuing. It's worth challenging ourselves to go out and reach that. So let's jump into the text for this week, starting with the Old Testament text out of Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 to 10. So this is kind of metaphorical. We have to remember also that this part of Isaiah, like we talked about last week, the Babylonians are at the gate knocking at the door. They're ready to do in the tribe of Israel. And suddenly you get this text from a prophet Isaiah forecasting that out of the stump of Jesse, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit, a new branch shall grow from these roots and how God is going to give the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, which some church denominations use that verse 2 as part of their baptismal service. This idea of how God then is going to continue to bless these people, that this is going to be something that is going to be favorable to them. And then we get in the second half of this text, looking at how the lion and lamb are going to lay together, the leopard and the kid, all these animals that would be devouring each other are living in harmony together and that they are not destroying each other. And that there will be a time when there will be peace between the nations and it will be glorious as the tribe of Israel is right on the edge of war. So this idea of how God is this great peacemaker and how God is going to change things. And yet this is something that we still have a hard time being able to fully imagine and picture. This then ties into the psalm this week, which is Psalm 72 verses 1 to 7 and 18 and 19. This then is playing into the idea of God as the judge, God as the righteous judge, but yet is still providing justice for those who maybe are poor, people who have had a hard, difficult time, and yet this is a God who is defending those people, who is being there for the the needy, being there who have been crushed by their oppressors that this leader will provide deliverance for the people. So this idea of how God is still in the midst and is looking on and trying to play favorably for all, not just those in the top half. And that this is something that is how the world is designed to run, that this will be a peace then that goes beyond, that this will be a glorious way for the world to be able to work together and do wondrous things together as a group of people. The second reading or the epistle text this week is out of Romans chapter 14 verses 4 to 13. This then is how the harmony that is within God is going to be able to bring the people together out of the root of Jesse again, but how the people of God will come together through the Holy Spirit and be able to be in harmony together. This idea of us all coming together and it really won't matter if we're a Gentile or not. We won't matter if we're a Gentile or Jew, that we're all singing praises to the same God, that we are all being brought together by the Holy Spirit to sing praises to God. The gospel text this week is out of Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. So, 
This is where we have John the Baptist is coming out of the wilderness of Judea and is claiming that we should be repenting for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is then confirming what we have heard in the prophet Isaiah in different parts where a voice in the wilderness cries out, prepare ye the way of the Lord and to make the path straight. Then we get into, and we've talked about this before, the amazing properties of what John wore of camel's hair and a leather belt and eating food of locusts and wild honey. But it really, where the rubber meets the road this week is when John is baptizing people and you have the Pharisees and Sadducees, so the religious elites who are seeing themselves and trying to hold themselves to a very high bar that, yes, we are exactly the chosen people of God. We are living the law out to a T. And this is where John comes out, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? This idea then of, again, of you're supposed to be so holy. Why are you worrying about this type of thing? Are you then realizing that there is errors in what you're doing? Then he gets into this text of talking about how the ancestors of Abraham and how God will has said that there's going to be a rising up. And as the axe is lying next to the root of the tree, every tree, therefore, does not bear good fruit, will be cut down and thrown into the fire. But this last verses here, verse 11 and 12, I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His widowing fork is in his hand. He will clear the threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the granary, but chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This idea of how God is coming in and doing something completely different, as we know on this side of the cross what that means, but again, these weird words that John would have been speaking at this time, and we'll get into it in just a few minutes, but before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we do a shameless plug for Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainways podcasts, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help bring you this podcast. I really do enjoy having different biblical scholars bringing from different perspectives to look at these texts. So if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. I'd also highly recommend checking out Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. I really like using them for the Revised Common Lecture week after week. I use them week after week to be able to look at all the text and bring this to you. But one of the other things that is super awesome is looking at the different pieces of art, looking at the prayers, looking at the hymns. There's so much here to be able to deepen and even prepare you for different weeks within the church. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that also. Let's jump into a couple different things here. And I think first, kind of what I was wrapping up here when we were going through the Gospel of Matthew, those last verses, I baptize you with water for the repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I find this really interesting because as coming from a person who, again, with a science background, I also have a very interest in tech. There's a quote that I wasn't able to directly find, though I found something fairly similar, and I'll try attaching that down in the show notes below. There's a guy who is in his early 30s himself of 
Marquise Brownlee, who is MKBHD. He's a huge YouTube personality who reviews a lot of tech. And one of the things that he talks about is really looking at tech as the third and fourth generation, especially with phones, being really important generations. Because the issue is the first few generations, they're putting things out, they're experimenting, they're trying things, and they're hearing feedback in order to be able to revise the product. But by the third and fourth generation, that's the time that you should really be refining it to the point where you are figuring out exactly what that product is going to be. You've been able to hear the feedback. You've been able to respond multiple times. What is this product actually going to be? And what I find interesting as I read this gospel text in particular is I hear it as John realizing he is the last in his generation and the next generation is about to come and really change things. And if we look at it, we can see this. We had the garden and we saw how that didn't work. We as humans fell causing God to make a shift. We had God then kind of raising up the beginnings of prophets. We had God coming as a cloud. And both of these scenarios really didn't work. You know, us claiming what we wanted a king really didn't work. So here we are as kind of the tail end of the prophets as John the Baptist is here. And suddenly now you have John the Baptist claiming, no, I am not the Messiah, but someone who is going to even make it more clear is coming. You can't imagine at this moment what this next generation is going to be like, but trust me, it's way better than this. And being on this side of the cross, we can understand that. We can understand that it is way better now than it was pre-Jesus. And so having this text of John kind of being this four-leaner into this, it kind of plays into how tech has done things and how this idea of what the world will be is there. But I think it's also important to look at these texts and how much hope is in these texts. And that is something that can't be underestimated. Because there has been scientific tests on hope. And it's one of the things where I'm glad that we have ethics within a lab. But I will also say I am glad that we have developed these ethics over time, that we have studies to be able to, before some of these ethics were in play, that we were able to do some research that now would be considered a little inhumane. And one of these tests is coming from Dr. Kurt Richer. And Richer in the 1950s did these very interesting research on rats. He took buckets of water, filled it halfway with water, and placed rats in the buckets. Rats are actually fairly good swimmers, but these rats, when placed in the buckets, would swim for about 15 minutes before dying. And that was his first round of tests. His second round of tests, he filled the buckets with, again, half full of water and then placed the rats in there. And right before they die, he would have people instruct them to take the rats out, dry them off, let them rest for a few minutes 
before putting them back in. Upon doing this, the rats then would swim for 60 hours on average before dying. The only thing that was concluded from this study is that because hope was given to the rats, the hope then propelled the rats to go to the extent of giving absolutely everything. If it looks like there isn't anything to do this for, if it looks like there is no hope, giving up makes sense and I might as well just die. Whereas if hope is given, like in that the rats will get out of the situation and be okay, it is then worth going all the way until I literally can't do anything anymore. Again, I'll attach some of the research below, but it's really interesting when we think about that, how hope is something that if destroys, destroys us. But hope also can be something that can empower us to move forward and continue going. But that also means when things look to be bleak, it doesn't mean that they necessarily are. And that gets to another point that is brought up in these texts, and especially Living in the northern half of the northern hemisphere, I can relate to where they kept talking about shoots rising up from the stump of Jesse, or the idea it coming from the Isaiah text, or coming from the Matthew text, the idea that the axe is laying next to the stump of the tree, but yet something of life shoots out of it. Because as we've talked about some before, trees communicate through the roots. So in order to actually kill a tree, you have to actually disturb the roots. Even if you're cutting off the food source of creating new food, doesn't mean that the tree hasn't necessarily retreated its nutrients into the roots, waiting for the opportune time that when the roots themselves feel healthy and can ex do one last try of shooting trees out of the stump, making new life out of what appeared to be dead. That yes, let's. this is worth that one last shot of hope that we can regrow this thing to do it. We have to remember that root systems of trees is where the, the lifeblood is actually of a tree. We've talked about in the past and how trees are able to communicate through basically the internet underneath the ground through root systems and using fungus. But this idea then also that that's where the energy source of these trees is. So it makes complete sense that we have these examples of out of the root, out of the stump, that something of new life can begin. Something that we can quickly and easily overlook. Something that we can assume is dead. There is nothing above ground, but we don't see underground how strong that root system still is, how much life there still is, we have to look at that, yes, at this point, God appears to be what is going on. Where is God? We have this crazy man in Matthew coming literally out of the wilderness and is chanting and saying all these things on that God is coming. How crazy that sounds. How just... 
impossible it sounds. When we're getting in the Romans text and the Isaiah text and even parts of the psalm, this idea of this God of justice who is going to be this great uniter of peace. Do you know how crazy it would have been in Isaiah's time that not only these animals lying together and being able to work in harmony together, but also to hear this that, yeah, there's going to be this great peace that it's not even going to matter where you come from, what people you're from when they're on the edge of war. That here is this prophet claiming peace when the Babylonians are at the gate ready to come in and destroy. Oh yes, peace is going to eventually come. When we have this God who is going to crush the oppressor and give deliverance to the needy. Right. When is that happening? That sounds so improbable. But we have to remember, and it's something that we have seen time and time and time again, that our human timelines and God's timelines are different. Our timelines and God's timelines are different. When we see a stump of a tree, we assume it's dead because we don't want to necessarily live out that timeline. But yet out of that stump can grow yet another mighty tree. Even when if we live long enough to see the shoots coming out of the tree stump, we don't necessarily have the horizon to be able to see another mighty tree coming out of that stump. We still see it as insignificant. Understanding that Hope is given on these long horizon timelines, even when we don't see the result of what it is. Those rats swimming in buckets, not knowing how much longer this will be, but the hope that continues to drive them forward. With the knowledge of seeing one moment, but not necessarily knowing what the whole horizon is, that is us. We're the root system that doesn't know when we're going to pop up a shoot, but figuring out that our root system is strong enough to be able to grow again and make ourselves into something great again. That hope of new life that can come in. The hope that has been given to us in that we have been pulled out of the water and given time to rest and dried off. That as we're swimming and things look bleak, we know that that hope is still there, so we keep swimming. What seems improbable of having these animals in the Isaiah text that would devour each other, lie down next to each other, realizing that this isn't on our timeline, but this is on God's timeline. Having this timeline of John coming out of the wilderness and saying, there is about to have a new generation of God connecting with his people, that no longer is it just going to come from prophets, but that, that God is going to be enfleshed and baptized us with the Holy Spirit to be within us. The Pharisees and Sadducees at that moment must have thought this man was absolutely crazy because that was crazy talk. And us being on this side of the cross and having hindsight to be able to look back we can understand that John wasn't crazy. We can understand and see that the stump was about to shoot up new life. We can look at and recognize that the rats were just about to be saved. We can recognize that we were about to have the new generation of a tech product that was going to revolutionize how we interacted with God. As we are in this Advent season, as we are preparing ourselves not only for the Christmas that we know, 
but also for this coming of Christ this second time that we don't know when that is. I do feel like we have to be alert and sit, wait, and learn, and listen, and be observant for what God is trying to teach us as that time approaches. And I'm not going to sit here and guess when that is, because that's not our role. We are just told to be prepared. We are told to then be ready. And that means that we need to be observant. That means that we need to be ready for this next generation of how we're going to be able to be ready for that. Referring back to the question that we talked about earlier, how are we like the Netherlands being able to take and learn how to better grow crops to be able to actually feed people? How do we take these different tangible things of our lives and be ready for God? How do we listen enough to be understanding that that time is approaching, not knowing when? And not being guaranteed that we ever are going to be told when that's going to happen. But just being prepared for when it happens. The hope that is in even preparing for that. The hope of knowing that there is something greater that is still coming. Propels us to not only look back fondly on what we know has happened. But also prepare us for moving forward. As an individual within the faith. And as a church community, big church community of faith. So the question I have for you this week is where do we need to keep hoping? Where do we need to keep hoping? Because in hope, it forces us to be optimists. In hope, it forces us to keep looking and being observant for where life still can be, even in times when things look bleak. Where can we continue to work and strive for justice when things don't look good. These are places, I would argue, where God is calling us to be. Calling us to be alert and ready for wherever God is going to show up. Where that life of where God is calling us to pop up. In a world that we are watching climates change, where are we seeing hope? Where are we seeing places where we can figure out new ways of taking old ideas of agriculture and move them into a new phase? Where can we look at a stump and realize that that stump is not dead, but yet the life of that tree had been retreated into the roots to be able to weather the storm, whether it be winter or losing a major part of the tree to regain that strength to be able to shoot up a new shoot? Where have we gotten those moments of hope where we have been taken out of the bucket and dried off and given us hope so that when we get dropped back in, we keep going until that day when we will be taken out of that bucket yet again. Hope is within our world. Hope is something that we look forward and cling on to. It's something that we can see in nature as something that is used all the time because the world is hard. And we all know this, life is not easy. But yet God has given us a hope of something greater than ourselves. And as we are in this Advent season, we have to be prepared, not only for the difficult seasons, but also prepared for the hope. Be not willing to just cast things aside as destruction, but be willing to see in the moments of destruction, life is still there. Things that are assumed to be dead are not that something amazing can come from what we perceive as a lost cause. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. 
I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.